Well, good morning again. If you have your Bible, open up to the book of Jonah. Book of Jonah, as we start a new series this morning, Jonah is between Obadiah and Micah. So it's pretty small, it can be hard to find. So here's your, your uh, mile markers there. Uh, I'm pumped about diving into the book of Jonah, frankly. Uh, I, this is a fascinating book to me. It's been fascinating studying and preparing for it. Also, I just like boats. I think they're interesting. Uh, some of the sailors in the room are like, I don't like boats at all. And I get that. My favorite movie, you know, you can kind of tell how old someone is by their favorite movies. My, my favorite movies, uh, my top five are The Patriot, um, Gladiator, uh, Top Gun is in my top five, Shawshank Redemption is in the top five, and rounding out the top five is Master and Commander. Has anybody ever seen Master and Commander with Russell Crowe? Amen. Thank you. I'm glad some like-minded people in here. Uh, I've been told it's very boring, and maybe for the uh, you know, maybe less sophisticated of you it is. I don't know. <laughs> Just kidding. Master Commander is a great story of um, uh, Captain Jack Aubrey, who's uh, the captain of the HMS Surprise during the Napoleonic Wars, and he is having this duel with this French uh, captain, and they go round and round on uh, kind of in, outmaneuvering one another and they have a couple of battles. And it's, I mean, it's just a fascinating uh, story, a fascinating movie based on some novels. But I think what I love about it more than just being a good classic war movie is just the intrigue of life at sea, of just the, uh, of the, the superstitions that the sailors have, of the, uh, the kind of the danger that comes with being at sea. I think uh, being on a boat out in a vast ocean has a way of making you feel small. Um, and just some of the dynamics that come with that are fascinating to me. And, and I, there's a lot of that in the book of Jonah. Our chapter today, what we're going to study today, it's a scene on the ocean, a small boat, a big ocean, and that dynamic at play helps us reveal some things, helps us see some things about the characters in this story, and I think ultimately it's going to tell us some things about us and who we are. And so I'm convinced that every one of us that's here today can find ourselves in this story somewhere. And so as we work through the text I'd encourage you to look for yourself in this story. Let's read it. We're going to read all of chapter one, so just settle in with me. It's going to take us a minute, but we're going to read all of chapter one, then I'll pray, and then we'll dive in. This is what it says. It says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. From the presence of the Lord, he went down to Joppa and he found a ship that was going to Tarshish and he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. And so the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. And so they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? Jonah said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. 
Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Verse 11, then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. And so they picked up Jonah, and they hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging, and then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows." And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are the God of heaven who made the land and the sea. And that means that there is no domain in which that you are not in control. And that includes our own lives and our own hearts. And so, Lord, we invite you then into your own domain. Would you rule and reign in our lives? As we dive into this text this morning, would you speak to us? Would you challenge us? Would you encourage us? Would you draw us to yourself? Or would you speak to us, remove any barriers that might keep us from hearing you clearly, myself very much included? And God, would you change us as we open ourselves to your word. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. This is a, I mean, this is a story that everyone is familiar with, right? Like, this is like top three vacation Bible school stories, isn't it, right? There's like David and Goliath, Jonah and the whale. I don't even know what number three would be, but this is up, this is it, right? This is peak. My favorite VBS memory as a kid was when Jonah and the whale was the theme, and they built a giant paper whale in the fellowship hall, and they had us, <laughs> they had us kids go through the mouth, and they come out the back. It's just unbelievable. Nobody thought through that design very well. It's not how the story goes. Um, but, I mean, we love this story. It, it makes great cartoons. It, it's, uh, there's great lessons in it. Uh, but uh, uh, there's, there's so much more in this story. This story has something to tell us about ourselves. It has something to tell us about Jesus. It has something to tell us about God. It has something to tell us about wickedness and repentance and stubbornness. There's much to learn here. My, my goal this morning is to look at the characters. The first chapter of this text, it introduces to us the characters of the story. And there are four characters introduced here. We're going to spend some time looking at two of them in depth. And the main idea here, this, if you're a note taker, this is where we're going. This is the point this morning, is that our gracious God pursues rebellious people. Our gracious God pursues rebellious people. And you can see that. Here's, here's what's happening. Let's set the scene a little bit. Jonah, he's a prophet in the, in the eighth century. He, he's one of Jeroboam the second prophets in the northern kingdom of Israel. And he, he's a, this is a real person, a real prophet. Uh, he's spoken of in 2 Kings uh, by, by name here the same way. And he's called to go prophesy to these people in a city called Nineveh, or more likely a region of cities, a, a cluster of cities where Nineveh was a chief city. It's the capital of Assyria. Assyria are, are neighbors and enemies of, of Israel. They're to the, the northeast of 
uh, the Israelites here. And they are, they are bitter, bitter enemies. In fact, later, God's going to use the Assyrians to judge uh, the Israelites in some major and devastating ways. And so it's already a, a, just a, a startling story. If you were a Jewish person at any time in your history and you read that God was sending a prophet to Nineveh, you would have been outraged, just like Jonah was. You'd be like, no, 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 you can't. Don't go, don't go preach to them. They would have had a similar hatred or frustration or disdain for the people of Assyria. It'd be like not, not dissimilar maybe from someone uh, being called to go to Iran or some enemy of our country and preach. There'd, there'd be an instant hesitation there. And yet that's what God does. God does call Jonah to go to Nineveh and to preach and to call them to repent. And Jonah doesn't want to do it, and so Jonah runs away. Jonah wanted to see the Ninevites judged for their sin, not forgiven. And he flees, as we learn in chapter 4, because he was afraid. And in fact, he knew that if he preached God, they would repent and God would forgive them. And he didn't want it to happen. So he gets on this boat to Joppa and he heads west. Instead of heading uh, northeast where he needed to be going, he headed west across the Mediterranean on this boat. Once he's out there on the sea, a huge storm shows up. The sailors, desperately superstitious as sailors are prone to be, but this time they're correct in their superstitions. They figure out that someone on this boat is responsible for this storm. This doesn't make sense. Someone's responsible. And they roll a dice, casting lots is the kind of Old Testament way of just uh, figuring out what's going on. And they determine that it's Jonah. And Jonah's, Jonah owns it. He says, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's my fault. Sorry, guys. Can you imagine how mad they were at him? They don't want to kill him, but Jonah offers. He says, hey, if you'll just kill me, we'll be good. You throw me overboard, let me drown here in the ocean. You guys will be fine. It's kind of a win-win. You guys will be safe. I don't have to preach to the Ninevites. You know, that's what he's willing to do. And they don't want to do that, so they're like, well, maybe we can row back to shore, and that doesn't work. And so finally they're like, well, it's either Jonah or us, and so they choose Jonah. They throw him over the side. While Jonah meant for his life to come to an end at this point, Jonah was essentially sacrificing himself or trying to for the sake of these sailors. God has other plans. And it's at this moment that God sends a giant fish to come and swallow Jonah up. Now, I recognize that that's hard to believe, right? It's okay to acknowledge that, safe to acknowledge that. You won't be the first to acknowledge that. Just the, the comedy of it all, the picture of it all, that, that God would send a fish and that fish would swallow a man alive, and that man would live in the belly of that fish, it says, for three days and three nights here. It's pretty far-fetched. I get it. And I want to walk us through some things to help us kind of understand, one, should we believe this is true? Maybe we should take it in as an allegory or something like that. Now, some considerations. First, I want to tell you that the book of Jonah... Uh, the author of the book of Jonah presents this as history. It's not presented as allegory or fantasy or fable. It's presented as history. It's actually closest in its style to books like First and Second Kings and First and Second Samuel, where there's a mixture of narrative and prophetic witness. And so the author intends for it to be taken as history. Further, Jesus talked about Jonah as if it was history. He talks about uh, Jonah. In the book of Matthew, it talks about the sign of Jonah, which we'll address later in this series. And Jesus treats Jonah and the fish like very real and literal figures. It's also interesting to me, people don't typically question a lot of the other miracles in Scripture, and even the Old Testament, but they do have trouble with this one for 
whatever reason. They don't question the Red Sea parting and people of Israel walking across it like dry land. They don't question the plagues in Egypt. They don't question an axe head floating in the water. They don't question uh, Elijah being caught up into heaven. Question those, but then we get to a fish swallowing a guy and they're like, oh, that's too far. And I would, I would just say this, the final, the final, final thing I would say on, the, on this point is that, is that in order to be a Christian, in order to call yourself a follower of Jesus, you must believe that Jesus in human form died, literally stopped breathing, died, was put in a grave, and then three days later rose from the dead and walked out of that grave alive, right? And so if you can believe that, that a fish swallowed a dude in the ocean is not that crazy, right? I don't even go a step further. If you can believe Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, then it's not hard to see the fish that God created obeying God's commands. And so I, I am convinced you should take Jonah, the story in its totality, literally, because that's how God intends us to take it. And I think the lesson hits home more realistically for us when we do so. But that's not the focus of the story. The Bible is not terribly concerned about it. This is a modern man thing we, we do. We're too smart now for the Bible, and so we had to question it. The, this, this text is not focused on whether or not this really happened. This text, and particularly this chapter, is focused on the characters of this story. The first character we're going to look at is a fleeing prophet. That's who Jonah is. He's a fleeing prophet. Somebody that should be doing God's bidding, but instead is running from God. And again, this is understandable. Even if we recognize it as wrong, we get why Jonah does this, right? He's running from this wicked empire who has a history of like flaying people's skin open and like laying it on the rocks. Like, I mean, these are wicked people. They're enemies of his people. And so he runs the other way. But it's interesting to me, the text makes it clear that Jonah isn't just running from his ministry assignment. Jonah is running from God himself. Verses two and four go, go out of their way to say that Jonah was fleeing the presence of God. Not just fleeing the task that God had given him, but God's very presence. He was trying to get away from God. Jonah says, I'm going the other direction than God wants me to do. Maybe he won't be there. I'm going to go get into the ship. And then not only am I going to get on the ship, I'm going to go down to the bottom. I'm getting as far away from God as I possibly can. And I would imagine you can see yourself already in this story, can't you? Who among us has not run from God at some point in our life? Who among us has not tried to get away from God's presence, has not said, enough already, I don't want anything to do with you right now. I'm going a different direction than you want me to do. How do we run away from God? Sometimes we run away from God by avoiding the places we know we're going to encounter him, don't we? I'm convinced that's why some people, maybe some of you are here today and you're not normally here today. I don't mean to say this to condemn you or shame you, but I want you to just analyze your heart. Maybe one of the reasons people today struggle with just showing up to church in the morning is not so much that we're busy, which is what we say. And maybe it's more because we know we're going to hear from God here. Maybe we stay away from church because it Every time we show up and we sing these songs and we open this book, you feel God tugging at your heart and you don't want to respond. And so you say, you know what? I'm just going to stay away. I'm busy this month. We had a full weekend. I need a day off or whatever excuse we come up with. 
We run away from God by avoiding spending time with him alone. Maybe you're here, you're a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus, and you know you ought to cultivate a daily walk and relationship with God, and yet you kind of always seem to be giving him the stiff arm. We avoid our Bible reading or our prayer times because we're afraid of what may happen there. Some of us run away from God just by pushing out any thoughts of a spiritual nature. When those thoughts creep in, we have a way of just kind of pushing them to the side and moving on to something else. Guys are especially good at this compartmentalization, psychologists call it. Take, go, nope, I don't like that. I'm going to stick it back here. Think about something else. Whatever method we use to run away from God, I think we can all acknowledge and admit that we have been guilty of it. And some of us maybe in this very moment are actively running away from the Lord. Why do we do that? Why do we do that? Because we know it's futile, right? I mean, we can, when you read this story, it's, it's comical, and it's meant to be comical. We see Jonah going, oh, you're going to get away from God by going a few decks below the surface, right? We're meant to read that and go, Jonah, that's crazy. That's ridiculous. Why would you do that, right? And then what do we do in our life? Go, well, if I just, if I just stay away from that person who's always talking about Jesus, God, God's, God's bigger than that. God's stronger than that. You can't run from God no matter how much you try. Why do we try, though? Why do we go through with it? And I think it's because a lot of times we're challenged in a way that we don't like by what God has to say to us. We're challenged by what God has to say to us. God has spoken, and if God really is God, then his word must really be obeyed. And frankly, it's not always the easiest thing to do. If being a Christian was the easiest thing on earth, everyone would just do it. But there's a reason that Jesus says, hey, before you follow me, you've got to count the cost, because there will be a cost to it. And so some of us run away from God because we're afraid of what he might say to us. Maybe he's calling us to set aside some sin patterns in our lives and bring our lives more into alignment with his plan for our lives. And frankly, we don't want to do that just yet. I remember when I was doing youth ministry, we had a, had a guy, and, and the Lord was after this kid, and he was running hard away from him. And I remember I was talking to him after service one night, and I said, hey, man, when are you just going to give up? When are you just going to surrender and just put your faith in Jesus? And he goes, I got a plan. Don't worry. He goes, I'm going to live how I want to live for now, for a little while, right? Maybe until I'm 25 or so and just do whatever I want. And then I'm going I'm to follow Jesus after that and live the way he wants me to. This is a guy, he's articulating something we would never, many of us would never say out loud. And in his youth and naivety, he, he says, yeah, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to sin all I want until I'm 25, and then I'm going to stop. God was after him, and he's going, no, I don't want that right now. Maybe that's you in your life. You know God's calling you to live a certain way, and you just don't want to, and so you are running from the Lord. Perhaps you run from the Lord because you're afraid of what God might ask of you. You're afraid of what God might ask of you. Like Jonah, God may have a ministry assignment for you, and you don't want to hear it. This was always like the boogeyman uh, when, when I was growing up. It's like, man, you better be careful because God might send you to a crazy foreign country to be a missionary. You're like, oh, I don't want that. Okay. We're just scared of what God may ask us to do. God may be, and I hope that he is, and I suspect that he probably is calling some of you to give your lives to the mission field, just like God's calling Jonah to do here. 
I would not be shocked one bit if God is calling some of you to go and to give your lives for the sake of the gospel on a foreign mission field. And perhaps you're running because you have a sneaking suspicion it's you that he's calling and you don't want to hear it. He may not be calling you to something as grand as that. He could be calling you to serve on the greeting team that you've been coming to church for a long time and you know you need to get involved in serving in your local church and you just don't want to do it and so you're not listening. I think a lot of us run from God because we're afraid of what he might ask of us. I think many people run from God because they're ashamed of their sin. They're ashamed of what they've done, where they've been. And there's this sense that I can't be near God because of what I've done. And that's half true. We're ashamed of what we've done, and so we try to stay far from God because being near him makes him aware of our failures. There is a sense in which God's holiness does separate us from him. There's also a very real sense in which God's Mercy and kindness through Christ can unite us with him instead. And so that calling you here from the Lord is not to come be ashamed, but to come be forgiven instead. Still others of you could be running from the Lord because you're angry at God. You're angry at God. Something in life has not gone how you had hoped it would go. Some tragedy has befallen you. I know of Probably half a dozen people in the room right now with just tragedy has hit your life in the last year or two. And you're angry at God for it. And so you don't want anything to do with him. I would just say to you today that I understand that and God even understands that. But running from God is the exact opposite thing to do when tragedy hits. God wants to comfort you. God grieves when his people grieves. He mourns when his people mourn. And he wants to love and encourage you. You may not have all the answers that you want, but he does have his presence that he offers you. But I'm convinced this morning that in big ways or in small ways, every one of us is running from God in one way or the other. We may just be reluctant to accept his plan for our lives in this season, Or we may know he's calling us to put our faith in him for salvation. And so we find the closest ship going to Tarshish that we can and we hop on board. Which way are you running this morning? Towards God or from God? No matter how or why you're running, here's what I want you to know this morning. Is that God is graciously pursuing you. This is the second character and the main character of our story is our pursuing God. Our pursuing God. In our text today, God is graciously pursuing every character that we see in the story. God is graciously pursuing these sailors. These guys are just bystanders, right? They didn't sign up for this. They're just trying to do their job, deliver whatever goods they got to take to Tarshish and and get back home safely so they can see their families. But God's after them. You see, even in our story today, They get to see God's work firsthand. They get to see who God is, and they worship him accordingly, the text says. God's graciously pursuing the people of Nineveh as well. They don't deserve his grace, that's for sure. They're wicked, evil people. The text says it itself. And yet God is after them in his kindness and mercy. God is sending a messenger to them so that they might be spared. And God is graciously pursuing Jonah here too. 
Jonah doesn't want anything to do with this ministry assignment. And frankly, God doesn't need Jonah to accomplish this ministry assignment, but yet God wants Jonah. And so he will not let him go. Look at how God pursues in our text. He uses this sign, as I've said, to pursue the sailors. This, they see how God works powerfully over the wind and the waves to calm them, and they, go, they acknowledge God for who he is. And this is something God still does in our lives today. God pursues us through showing us his power and his goodness and his might. Perhaps you've watched God transform someone's life near you. God intends for you to see that and go, see, God can do that for you too. Every time we have a baptism here, that is God pursuing those who haven't put their faith in Jesus. As we see how God's changed someone else's life, he wants us to know that he can do the same for us. You see someone's life transformed by the gospel and it makes you wonder if there really is something to all this Jesus stuff they're talking about. How does God pursue the Ninevites? He uses a message to pursue the Ninevites. The whole framing of this story is Jonah going to Nineveh to proclaim a message. He uses a preacher, quite literally, to reach the people of Nineveh. And God loves using messengers to pursue us. He might use a guy like me standing up here and preaching to you. He might use a best friend who has a harsh word for you that you don't want to hear, but God wants you to hear. Maybe he uses the small group discussion that you have this week to penetrate your heart in a new and fresh way. God loves using messengers to get a hold of us because he's a graciously pursuing God. God uses a storm to pursue Jonah. He uses a storm to pursue Jonah. The storm forces, God's, or forces Jonah's hand. God's not going to let him get away. And he sends wind and waves and threat of death to get Jonah's attention. No one likes being in a storm, do they? Storms are scary. Storms are disorienting. They make us feel small. They make us feel out of control. A lot of times we assume God is sending storms into our lives as a form of punishment or judgment on us. But I want to submit to you today that maybe God isn't sending a storm into your life as a form of punishment, but as a way of pursuit. God is after you. He wants you. And he will do whatever it takes to get you. So maybe storms are scary because God wants you to turn to the one who casts out all fear. Maybe storms are disorienting because God wants us to return to our true north and realize he is the way and the truth and the life. Perhaps storms make you feel small and out of control so that you'll cling to the one who is big and controls all things. God doesn't send storms necessarily as judgment, but he often uses them to pursue us. And if you're in a storm, I want to encourage you to ask God, what do you have to say to me through this? Instead of just calling for the storm to end, ask God, are you pursuing me through this? Through whatever I'm going through, through this relational strife, through this pain, this hurt, this difficulty, through this fear, through this job loss, through this financial struggle, God, what are you doing? And I bet for a lot of us, the answer is, I'm pursuing you. 
This is, the, this is who God is, church. God graciously pursues rebellious people. He's been doing it since the Garden of Eden. Think about Adam and Eve rebelling against God's commands and God's laws, eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When God told them not to, they did it anyways. What do they do? They run from God and they hide. What does God do? Does he let them go? Say, oh, well, their fault. No. He goes looking for them. Wandering through the garden, asking for them, calling out to them. And then when he finds them, he shows up with gifts. Animal skins to cover their nakedness and help with their shame. God graciously pursues rebellious people. Jesus tells the parable of the lost sheep. He talks about a shepherd who has a hundred sheep and one of them leaves. And he asks, what is the shepherd going to do? He goes and gets the lost sheep. He tells that story to illustrate how God relates to us. He pursues us. The apostle Paul is saved on the road to Damascus because of God's gracious pursuit of him. When God says, it's hard for you, Saul, to kick against the goads. What's he speaking to? He's speaking to Paul's running from God and his pursuit of him. God ultimately pursues us by sending Jesus from heaven to us here on earth. Whereas Jonah disobeyed God's command, Jesus lives in perfect obedience to God's every word. Whereas Jonah refused to proclaim the message of salvation to the Ninevites, Jesus freely proclaims it to any and all who would listen. Where Jonah tried to give his life for the sailors but failed, Jesus does lay down his life for us. God is pursuing all of us. He's pursuing us first and foremost to put our faith in him and him alone for salvation, recognizing that we can't earn our way to God, that our sin, just like the Ninevites, is deserving of judgment. And then he's pursuing us to turn to him, follow him with our lives. But for those of us who have put our faith in Jesus, he's also pursuing us still. It's not like some not you guys, but some husbands, they stop pursuing their wives after they get the ring on it, you know what I mean? No, he's after us every day. He wants more of us. He wants a relationship with us. He wants to know us. He has more for us. Remember when I was a teenager, God was after me, and it took God a, a long time. I was abnormally stubborn, perhaps you resonate with that. I would go to youth group. My parents would send me to youth group at church, and I would just cause problems. I would just stir youth group up. I would just stir up drama. I would talk while the youth pastor was talking. I would distract people. I would yell out dumb answers to the questions just to get the, you know, I was bad, guys. I've repented since, it's fine. And I remember uh, the middle school youth pastor at my church pulled me aside and, and he, I just remember these words. He said, Stuart, what are you doing? And I don't remember much of the conversation after that. It had something to do with him calling me to be a better leader or sign up, do, be more engaged, whatever. But just those, those words, like, what are you doing? It's God's way of kind of penetrating my heart just a little bit. It forced me to wrestle with the answer to that question. What are you doing? I didn't fully surrender, however, at that time to my life. I took steps towards God, but maybe not fully. A couple years later, I was on a uh, rickety old church van with another church group, different church group. I was kind of bouncing around. Don't do that. We were going on this beach trip, and we're going on this beach trip, and this, uh, you know, rickety old church van, there's no such thing as nice church fans, by the way, but this rickety old church van, it breaks down on the side of the road of the summer on the way to St. George Island and, and on the Panhandle. 
I'm annoyed, I'm frustrated, it's going to ruin our beach trip. And this other church van came and stopped and they picked us all up. And I met these guys on this, on the side of the road, Highway 98. And these men, these, these guys my age became my friends and they pointed me to Jesus. They shared the gospel with me. They showed it what it looked like to live for Jesus in a genuine way and not just give lip service to it. And it changed the trajectory of my entire life. That's my story. What's your story? How has God pursued you? How did God call you to salvation? What is God pursuing you for now? As we close, just two questions, I think, in response to that is, how are you running from God? Are you running from his call on your life? If you're here in this place and you're not a Christian, you haven't put your faith in him for salvation, you're still trying to earn your way to it or still trying to pretend like you're going to be good enough, if you're here and you haven't put your faith in Jesus, I want to submit to you that God is calling you now. He is graciously pursuing you now. And the time to stop running is today. God loves you so much that he sent his son to die on a cross for your sins. And if you will believe that Jesus is who he says he is and did what the Bible says he did, died on a cross and rose three days later, the Bible says you will be saved. Maybe you're a believer here, but you've wandered away from God. The story of the prodigal son who was a part of the family but decided to leave and do his own thing for a little while, you're That part of the story resonates with you. I want you to know God is calling you back, pursuing you back, saying, come home, you can always come home, and perhaps today is the day that you need to return to the Lord. Maybe you're here today and you know that God has changes he wants to make in your life. You know there are ways that your life is not in alignment with how God is calling you to live, and you know he's tugging at your heart to make those changes, and you're stiff-arming him. Heisman pose left, Heisman pose right. We're not doing it. Perhaps today is the day we surrender and say, Lord, you can have that part of my life as well. Maybe God is calling you to a ministry assignment like Jonah. He's calling you to missions or calling you to ministry or calling you to serve in some meaningful way or calling you to share the gospel with someone in your life. And you have been running from him. Maybe some other way I haven't thought of or haven't listed here. Imagine the Holy Spirit's told you already. So that just leaves one question then for us. How will you respond to God's gracious pursuit of you? You can foolishly continue to pretend like you can run from God, to get as far away as humanly possible, to ignore him, pretend he's not there, and tune him out. It's an option. I've got to tell you, though, God doesn't usually lose these fights. And so it's a risky endeavor to say, I'm going to battle the God of heaven, the creator of the earth and the wind and the waves. The other option is to surrender to him and say, I am yours, Lord, have your way with me. My prayer is today for each and every one of us, whether in a big way of trusting Christ, first and foremost for salvation, or in a small way of turning to him in a way he's calling you to in your life, my prayer is that our response to God's pursuit of us would be, I'm yours. As we close this morning, we're going to respond to God's gracious pursuit of us. The band is going to come back and we're going to sing a final song. We're going to have pastors and deacons up front. If you want to pray, a great first step 
in responding to God's gracious pursuit of you is to walk forward and just pray with somebody. Maybe you need to pray. You, you want to believe in Jesus and put your faith in Jesus. You don't know how to do that. We can help with that. Maybe you've wandered from God and you want to come back. Prayer is a great way. We can help with that. Maybe you need prayer for victory over some struggle or pain or difficulty in your life. We'd love to pray with you for that as well. Or if you do sense God calling you to something, some kind of ministry assignment, we'd love to go before the Lord on your behalf there. Again, maybe it's something else. Maybe you just need prayer for encouragement. Whatever it is, we'll be up front. We'd love to pray with you during this last song. Here's what I know, church. I know God, despite of their wickedness, loved the people of Nineveh so much so that he sent a messenger so that they might be saved. And the same is true for you and I today, that God loves us, sinners, wicked people who don't deserve God's mercy, but God graciously sent us Christ so that we might be saved. Let's don't put him off any longer. Let's respond to our gracious pursuing God. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the example of Jonah. We thank you for the fact, God, that you would not let him go. That in your kindness and mercy towards him, you pursued him relentlessly and you pursued him graciously, even swallowing, up, swallowing, swallowing him up in a fish is evidence of your grace towards him. Lord, I pray for those of us in the room today. I pray for those watching online. Lord, that if we find ourselves running from you, God, would you stop us in our tracks? That even in this moment, Lord, those who need to meet with you, those who need to do business with you, would do that very thing? Would we instead turn from our fleeing and run to you, who loves us enough to die for us, who offers a future and a hope for us, and rules and reigns over the universe, God, and invites us in. You invite us in, Lord, to your family, not because of what we've done, but because of Christ. So we respond and we worship you now, God. Thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen.